Welcome to Hope Community Podcast. It's great to have you join us today listening online. We pray you'll be impacted by our message this week. Enjoy. It's wonderful. You know, I was sitting next to Zeke before the service and the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit said to me, he's a good young man, that one. I said, yeah, he, he looks good. And now I realise he's also smart. He married up. <laughs> well done to you, young man. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah, it's very important for a man of God to marry up, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm bringing greetings from my wife today. Uh, she was going to be with me, but... Um, late last night, some friends and hers began to conceive how to get um, shovels and brooms and other things down to people in Ballina Lismore to help with the cleanup. And uh, so she's off um, sourcing a whole bunch of stuff with her friends and putting it on a truck about another hour or so. She'll be putting it on a truck down there. So she's, uh, I said, so you'd rather do that than come with me? And <laughs> Listen to me speak. I, I understand. Yes, it's okay. It's no worries. I bring you uh, greetings from uh, my home church, which is the Logan campus of Gateway. Pastor Dave Morrow is my pastor, although I think <clears throat> he must wonder just a little bit about me because, um, you know, I, I, I disappear for, for ages like this time. I'm going to be gone five Sundays preaching in five different churches and, and I think he must wonder what kind of member is that. But anyway... <laughs> I bring you greetings from my pastor Dave and uh, whom I honour and uh, in my home church. And uh, we're in the deep south. Some, some folks on the north side call us North Wollongong. That's a, <laughs> that's a long way, isn't it? <laughs> anyway. Do you know the Lord, uh, during the worship time, the Lord began to speak to me about the, of what I was experiencing in the worship and I honour the team this morning for such a beautiful beautiful way of leading us. And, um, and the Lord reminded me of the scripture that referred to the restoring of David's tent. And one of the reasons why that is an important thing is because when David's tent was erected in Jerusalem, it sustained the uh, nation through some of the worst battles they had. It was quite difficult for them um, in his time as the king of Judah for seven years and then his time as the king of Israel, they had some deep, dark moments. And the only thing that held them together, I believe, was the tent in which the worship went on 24-7. And so there were intercessors involved, there were dancers involved, there were um, priests involved, there, you know, there, there was everything involved. And when the prophet Amos said of another time when there'd be great demands, he said David's tent would be restored. And this is what's going to help us in the great battle before us. We love Australia. We love it. We're aware of all her weaknesses and her failures, but we love her. We honour our country. And whether we've been born into it and have it as sons and daughters or whether we're adopted sons or daughters, it doesn't matter. We love our country. But we know that our Australia is not going to be changed by bigger and bigger churches doing churchy things. It's going to be taken by 
a, a, a gracious force of men and women who love this country with all their heart and uh, who want to see it transformed. And uh, I believe that what God is doing here, my friends, just as I was listening and feeling the worship, he's renewing David's tent here and equipping you and making you ready for what's next. Isn't that lovely of him? We give you thanks. Thank you, Lord. Now, who, who are the parents of the dancers that were here this morning? Is it you? Come over here, darlings. And husbands as well. Come on. Are they all yours? They are? Well, it's great to meet you. What's your first name? Clay. Clay. Great to meet you, brother. And Sarah. Sarah. Yeah. Beautiful. I, would, I just want to take this moment to, to say this word to you of encouragement. You have daughters, sir. Um, in Arabic, that's Abu Ben Benat, the, the father of daughters. It's a place of great honour, sir. But um, the Lord said, rise up on the inside as a lion, as a strong man. Guard over those girls. For in them are the seeds of something amazing. You are to be like a lion. I'm not suggesting you get a shotgun or anything, but <laughs> do that. And the Lord said to you, you have done already a beautiful thing by investing in those girls a sense of enjoyment in the presence of God. And this is not only going to be in dancing, it will be in art. You will see them start to draw and to conceive things. You will see them start to imagine things, their dreams, uh, there is the seeds here for something precious in your lineage as well. Not just your children, but your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. The Lord is with you both. The Lord bless you and encourage you. Uh, to have, I, I remember speaking to a group of Arabic-speaking folks a number of years ago, and um, my host said that I was Abu Ben Banat because I had two daughters. And all the guys, oh. <laughs> it's true, they did. It was in, in Malaysia. Oh, isn't that a shame? He's the, he's the husband of daughters. And then they said, and, but he is also the father of three sons. Oh, wonderful. The glory of God is upon him. <laughs> so Abu Ben Banat, God bless you, sir. Who is the creator of this? Okay, come here. Come here. <laughs> What's your first name again? Rachel. Rachel, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for what you've placed upon Rachel. I thank you for what's developing upon her. And I thank you, Lord, that the anointing on her has only just begun. And I, Lord, I just release it. I'll release what you've put on her for more and greater things in the name of Jesus. So the interesting thing, Rachel, the Lord told me when I saw it and I looked it up close. He said, I showed her that when she could hardly see it. There was just a sense of it. 
when you paint this again, and you will paint this again, because this is the moment when the glory of God was expressed on Sinai for the very first time. It is the moment when the covering of the Lord, the mantle of the Lord began to touch the nation and drip like gold upon them. The Lord said he's going to show it to you again, but in greater detail. So I'll come back to see it when you paint it. That's lovely. Thank you, Lord. It is a, a remarkable thing that you have painters and imaginers like that. That's amazing. Amazing. Just tremendous. By the way, um, I did have a joke at Zeke's expense. I apologise to Zeke. I, mean, I didn't, I was only joking, honest, but you did marry up and I'm impressed by you now more than I was before. There you are. The, your, girl, your girl's name is Abby. Lovely. Abby, where are your parents? Are they here? They're not here. Well, I'm going to give you this for them. Should I record it? Oh, you can if you like. I think this is recorded anyway, isn't it? You know, so <clears throat> yeah, yeah, you can record it. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm last century. I write things down, right? <laughs> yeah. So the Lord, when I saw you there singing and worshipping and didn't know the connections that he was showing me, you know, about Zeke and so on. And the Lord said to him, tell her that what is going on in um, her life is something that was planted in her parents' lives and the favour that is on her has come from a very unusual source. And he has established it in that, in your parents' generation and it will be uh, much expanded in you, much more expanded in your children and much more expanded in your children's children. There is something going on here in a number of families and it's going on in yours, my dear. If you get the opportunity, tell your mum and dad, I don't know whether they're believers or not, but it doesn't matter. Something God was doing in them is now coming to fruit in you. That's how he loves to work. The Lord is with you and will strengthen you. What's your parents' names? Wendy and Peter. Hey, Wendy and Peter. Have a good day. (laughs) There's a lot going on here, actually. I mean, I blame Deb for that. (laughs) And I blame Dan. I mean, it's a good thing to get blamed for, right? If you're going to get into trouble, get into trouble for that, right? That's so lovely. I honour you. It's a privilege for me to be here. I'd love to share with you something that actually, in part, was, has actually been said already this morning, and I probably won't get through it uh, today, so I'll come back again. I think I am coming back again, aren't I? I'm doing two this year. Right, I must have behaved myself last time. And, uh, but, uh, so I'll, share, I'll start this off and then I'll finish it off when I come back. But um, there is a number of situations in Scripture which I've been meditating upon for actually quite a while. And uh, the Lord's given me a few, a few rambling thoughts about them. 
And it turns out that, and I know this from personal experience, but it turns out that human beings are often um, on a threshold between what they were and what they will become. And one of the tough things is that if you're, as God's people, if you're stuck on the threshold long, for too long, you actually start to get distressed because you feel as though you've got this promise on your life, but you can't press into it. And that, that can be very difficult to manage emotionally. It can be difficult to manage, manage mentally. You can be putting, going through a great deal of, of issues because you're, you're just between you're on the threshold. You're, you're leaving something behind and pressing into something new, but you haven't got fully into it. And, uh, you know, you, you're, you're moving in, a, you're moving in a, what is called a liminal space. Liminal spaces are between one place and another. <clears throat> and you'll find, you know, a young couple gets engaged, they're in a liminal space because they're not to stay in that space forever. Uh, they're pressing into something else. And then, they're, uh, then they go through other liminal spaces, as I'm sure you're aware of. And these liminal spaces are common amongst um, human beings, but they are common upon the people of God because the Holy Spirit puts promise from time to time on people's life. And he does this to draw them away from what they've been in and draw them into something new and fresh. But it doesn't necessarily follow that it happens like that. If you've ever had a sense of the promise of God on your life, right? If you've ever had a sense of a promise, you will know that there are times when that promise seems to just you flow out of the liminal space and into the reality of it quickly and you say, wow, that was great. And then other things, other promises on your life that just seem to pause. You know the promise is yours, but then you begin to stagger through unbelief about the nature of that promise. Does this make sense? All of us go through this, all of us. Sometimes you'll get through the liminal spaces really quickly Other times it'll take you a little while. And the tough thing is that when you spend a long time in a liminal space, you get broken hearted because you think it's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. This is me for the rest of my life. I am never going to get through this. And I believe it's right for me to say to the people of God here in hope that this is a people being performed conform to the will of God here, that will not only be in liminal spaces, but will thrive in them while the work of God is being completed. And I believe that's what's going to make you a strength because you see you're surrounded right now by tens of thousands of Australians who are also in liminal spaces, but who are breaking their heart at the delay. Some of them can't find good work. Some of them uh, can't find the kind of relationships they want. Some of them are looking for husbands and wives. Some of them are looking for children. They've always wanted children, but them, they just can't seem to have them. 
They try everything. Do you understand what I'm saying? We live in liminal spaces. You are surrounded by people who live in liminal spaces. In this part of the country, in in some parts of the country, they have all the money to make them have whatever they like. But you live in an area where it's tougher, where it's not just straightforward. You just go out and get it and do it. When you want to live a big dream, but the big dream seems so almost impossible, you get stuck, you, get, you feel as though God is, is saying something to you and wanting you to, to know something, but you're stuck in that liminal space between one thing and another and you just begin to despair. You come along to church sometimes and you hear about someone that's got a breakthrough and you almost feel like you want to punch them. <laughs> You just say, oh, just get sick of it. It's always God's got a favourite, right? (laughs) Living in liminal spaces is not easy. And yet all of us have a promise on our life, have actually numbers of promises, things that God has invested in us and wants to invest in us. Do you know the beautiful thing is I know, for example, all of you, well, I'm pretty sure all of you anyway, will have a, have a huge promise on your life that you've already broken through with God's help. Did you know that you are in Christ? Isn't that incredible? Wow, how did the Father pull that off? Man, even if he told us, we'd probably go, eh? We, it's getting to understand that would be so hard, wouldn't it? He has placed us in Christ. Isn't that amazing? Oh, yeah, and now because we're in Christ... We died with him, so sin is not an issue anymore. We were raised with him, so life is the issue now. I mean, seriously, even if you were a Baptist, you might even say, well, glory. (laughs) I mean, seriously, it's so good to know that. You know, we have this promise in our lives that because we're in Christ, we have his righteousness and we have his holiness. (gasps) I mean, you think about that. That blows all that religion stuff out the door, doesn't it? Mm, You live in that promise. Isn't that wonderful? That's why you enjoy worship so much, I can tell. And I know there are some Milli Vanillis in here. That's okay. (laughs) There's some people in this room going, who is Milli Vanilli? (laughs) And they're all about under 25 or something, right? Yeah. Those of us who lived through the 90s, we know, we know who Millie Vanilli was. Anyway, a little cultural reference there. Everyone's getting their phone out. Millie Vanilli. Because <laughs> you've got to admit, our, our phones are so, ex- are so intelligent, aren't they? Well, they are. I just ask my phone anything. Siri, can you tell me? And she does. It's amazing. Anyway, I don't know why I told you that, but anyway. <laughs> Okay, so let me just begin by sharing a few things about these liminal spaces because Scripture is full of people who had to walk through liminal spaces. And the trick was that they had to learn to see themselves as through, not in. Right? That was a trick they had to learn because they didn't know it as they came into the promise. They had to learn i got to think of myself as not being a sinner saved by grace, but as being in Christ and full of his righteousness and holiness. It's the way I think. And if I think, oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace and I'm going to sin every now and again or on a regular basis or every day at three o'clock or something, well, look, 
you know, you, you think that way, you're going to get into that. But all those in the scriptures who lived in liminal spaces had to learn to see themselves according to what God had said. And it was hard. And you, you and I have got to learn that same trick. We've got to learn to be able, the promise comes on us, boom. Now we've got to see ourselves in terms of what God has said, no matter what we're going through in the liminal space. Does that make sense? All right, so let me take you through a few examples as we uh, examine the Scriptures. Now, would you turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. And just a few verses. Just hold it there for a moment. Get to verse 19. It's an interesting thing that when you consider Abraham, you are considering a man who lived a very considerable amount of his life in a liminal space, in a threshold. Um, and he, is, he has on him from a very early uh, structure, it wasn't the first word that came to him, but it was one of the first, that he would be, quote, father of nations. He has this promise. You say, try and picture this, right? He's walking along a journey. He has a drop-dead gorgeous wife, brother. <laughs> see, see, you're right in this. So, and he's walking this journey. He lives in a place where they worship the moon and the sun. And, uh, and yet, because of his lineage, he knows things. He knows things, and so when the God... Uh, when God calls him, who is known as Yahweh, the I Am, as he will later be known, when he calls him, he immediately changes the whole direction of his life. And as he begins to walk in accordance with what he's sensing God say to him, literally walking, right? He was literally walking, but he was doing his life, going in the direction he sensed God saying to him. God stops him and says, you will be the father of nations, now, the only problem with that was he had a drop-dead gorgeous wife, but they couldn't have children. So immediately he's living in a liminal space. He has a word from the Lord God, the creator and preserver and governor of this world and all that has been made. He has a word from him. You are, you are a father of nations. I have. He puts a promise on him. Boom. And yet he lives in a space where his, all he owns is going to go to one of his servants. And he will spend from that point about 25 years or so trying to figure out how to walk in a liminal space. 25 years is a long time. You get called by God, you're this, you're that. Man alive. You give, you know, up in the West, we have... I think it all started when we got dial-up. <laughs> yeah, I reckon, you know, we, it was like that movie. You'd switch it on and it goes, there's little sounds. And then you've got mail. <laughs> Who remembers that? Yeah, yeah dial-up where you had to wait. And then we said, no, we're not going to wait anymore. <laughs> like that, it's got to be like that. And when we see something going round and around on our phones, we go, oh, <laughs> how dare you delay me? 
I have, I have things to do, places to go, people to see. I want to see this, show it to me now. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> we don't do well in these liminal spaces while we're waiting. Abraham will spend 25 years waiting for the promise that God Almighty gave him. And he, and he, he made some blunders in that time. And it ought to be an encouragement to all of us, and I'll touch on some of this, is that he did finally learn how God operates. God does not work to the timetable that we have. We always say yesterday, but God will take his time. Because in the liminal space, you will learn things that will enable you to move from one glory to another. And it's a good thing you need to learn them. Something like a little slap around the head sometimes because you get frustrated. But there is in this liminal space the lesson you need to learn to go with the promise so that when you step into the promise, you know where it came from, you know where the glory came from and you know you're going to walk humbly in it and it had nothing to do with you. You're ready now to move into another glory and another glory and another glory. And the, sometimes the long liminal space in a person's life is painful and yet it's part of getting them ready for greater and greater glory. And when you look at Abraham's life, you see that working out. He carried the promise of God many, many years before he became the father of nations. And the interesting thing I should tell you, he didn't see it in his lifetime. And yet, look at what Paul says of him in Romans chapter 4, verse 19. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteous. Righteousness. And the first lesson I guess we can learn about living in liminal spaces is you don't have to be in a hurry. You don't have to be in a rush. You can live with that promise on you in the confidence that God will do it. Friends, there is, there is in this room people who are of my vintage. <clears throat> and, you know, I should tell you my age because I'm years old. And <laughs> in all that time, in all that time, there are promises on my life that I have not yet seen. Anyone with me? Yeah. And it is real easy to become embittered and to become insistent. And when we pray, we nag God. It's real easy to do that. And if you're a young person and you haven't started nagging, look, I don't mind reminding the Lord of his promises, but nagging him isn't a good idea. And so we need to learn the lesson. I can trust God. 
He gave me this word. I can trust God. I may not even see the fullness of it in my lifetime, but I will see this. It is the Lord's word to me. And I've got words on my life that I'm claiming. And I'm getting better and better at living in the liminal space on those things. Some words, I go boom, straight into them. It's wonderful. Ha, this is timing. The, the glory of the Lord is upon me. But you know, I remember the Holy Spirit saying to me, the glory of the Lord is always on you. And even if you are in a liminal space and you're trusting Him for something, it doesn't change. We have, we have got into a nasty habits in the Western church of thinking that the only time we have the blessing of God is when everything's going right. There are beautiful believers in places like Qatar and Yemen and Saudi Arabia and North Korea and Iraq and Iran and Pakistan, Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, Ukraine, all of them in fear for their lives because they love the Christ. Well, perhaps not in Ukraine, but in countries where they pay with their lives, they have to keep their faith secret. And we, we would know nothing of that. We have this privilege. Can I just say that one of the lessons we can learn from Abraham is it doesn't have to happen in your lifetime. You can enjoy the fact that you are the one that carries the promise. And you can be glad the promise of God is on my lineage and I'm carrying it, and it's going to come to my children and to my children's children. And I may not see it with my own eyes, but I am going to see it. Yes. Amen. Yeah. Hallelujah. And so we, you know, and the devil comes, hey, you still haven't got that promise. <laughs> hey, why don't you just shut up? <laughs> In the name of Jesus, obviously. <laughs> yeah. So you get where this is going, right? Yeah? And when you actually look at the, the Scriptures, they're full of these kinds of uh, examples. Now, I encourage you to turn with me to the very first book of the Bible and to Genesis. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 15. In the first case, I think the, the lesson that Abraham had to use had to, to um, use because he tried to actually fulfil the promise himself with, you know, his wife's handmaiden. <laughs> that doesn't happen to us, brothers. Um, you don't get offered your handmaiden by your wife. I just thought I'd mention that just in case there were some false expectations out there. <laughs> You've got to be careful about this. All right. <clears throat> Now consider the case of Joseph. We're going to look at Genesis 50 in a moment. Now here's, here's an example of a guy who carries a promise on his life from a very young age. He's nothing more than an early teenager probably. He's Joseph. He's the favourite son of his father and his father's got a few of them. And uh, he is carrying this promise. And it's based on something he has dreamt. He senses as though God has invested something in his life. He has these dreams of his, his family, particularly his brothers who hate his guts, 
bowing down to honour him. And of course, that goes down like a lead balloon, as you know the story. And you will know too that they, they are so angry at him that they sell him. They abandon him first and then see an opportunity to make some money out of it and they sell him. He works in, uh, in, in the, uh, the house of Potiphar and then he gets falsely accused, doesn't he? And ends up in jail and uh, he, he uh, interprets the dreams of those two guys and they forget. And so he's left to rot in jail. Here's the interesting thing. The moment the promise of God, in the case of Abraham, the promise of God came on him and showed him of a wonderful future. It was just straightforward. But the moment the promise of God came on Joseph, things went wrong. Now, it's not uncommon for us to go, well, things are going wrong. I must be doing something wrong. God must have abandoned me. But that's not necessarily so. And I'd be saying to all of you, when you got the promise of God in your life, that's what happens sometimes. Immediately the promises start to come up upon you. You get pushback. It, it seems as though everything goes wrong from that point on. And you've got to admit, he gets these dreams, these wonderful dreams, and God's speaking to him with this great, honourable future he's going to have. And then he ends up in a pit. Then he ends up being sold. Then he ends up in jail. It's not working. <laughs> and I mean, most of us, we get these things that come to us and we say, oh, yeah. Oh, I'm such a strong Christian. I would just love it if God would put a promise on my life and then make everything go wrong. That's what I want. My goodness, pour it on. Come on, give it to me. And we're not like that, are we? No, any time something goes wrong, we just pastor pray for me. I remember years ago, a woman came to me and said, this is, this is going to prove to you that I'm not really a pastor. This woman came to me and said, Pastor, pray for me. The promises of God, that I'm just, oh, everything's going wrong. And I said, no, go away and pray for yourself. <laughs> Can you say that? <gasps> it was out, I'd said it, you know. So she went home and found a doll and started putting pins in it, obviously, to... Get rid of me. <laughs> and we laugh about that. But sometimes when the promise of God comes on you, it goes wrong. You carry something on you which is not going to resolve quickly. It's actually going to resolve in the end and gloriously, but there's going to be a tough journey. And the worst thing is for Joseph, the one trick he had to learn was that when he came through, he had to think the right way about his brothers. And in particular, he had to want, not want to have revenge on them. He had every right to revenge. I don't know, if you've been hurt, if you've been betrayed, if you've been abandoned, if you've been mistreated, if you've been abused, you will want to hold on. The feeling will be that you want to hold on to that resentment and that anger. And if it's ever possible to, to see them suffer, that will be great. Joseph spent the vast majority of his youth right up until into his 30s and into his 40s before he saw what God had put on him all those years ago and he had every right to be angry and resentful and bitter and locked in his hatred. And yet he found a way out. 
And you look at that, that Genesis passage with me. Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. And so they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many should be kept alive as they are today. So, do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. After living that long with the promise of God in that liminal space, having suffered so much, having gone through so much, being misunderstood so much, rejected, betrayed, abandoned, enslaved, imprisoned, he managed to learn the trick of carrying the promise of God. You don't need to have revenge in your heart or anger or bitterness because the promise of God is on you. You don't need to worry whether people have done the wrong thing. You can release them. You can release them. You can speak favour on them. You can seek to look after them. You can seek to do the right thing. Why? Because the promise of God is on you. You're carrying the promise and it's hard and it's hard and it wearies you and it wears you out. But this is the promise of God. Why? Someone down the track is going to be alive because of that promise on you. Right? And he learned to do that. And we've got to learn in the body of Christ here in Australia that we're all we're in liminal spaces. There's one word that came when we were named the land of the Holy Spirit, the great south land of the Holy Spirit. Immediately we were labelled that. Trouble started for us. The first thing that went wrong, I believe, was that the enemy somehow inspired Great Britain to dump all their convicts here. I don't think that's an accident. I think the enemy purposed that. But God has meant it for good. And we're grateful. My wife is descended from the youngest convict, woman convict ever sent to Australia. Mary Wade, I don't know if you know that name. You see, the thing is that when my wife came into Christ, she began to bear the promise that's on this whole land, the great south land of the Holy Spirit. She began to walk in that when she was a teenager. Are you seeing what I'm saying here? And we've had promise on our lives. We've, we've had a real battle to keep that promise on our lives, haven't we? It's not been straightforward. 
in my grandfather's time, he was born in the early 1890s in England. His father only just came to Christ and so he was a young Christian man. He had to go and serve in the First World War. He was shot four times. The fourth time they let him go home. I don't know, was the number, you know? Oh, you've been shot three times. Go back to the front, you know? And then, oh, you've been shot again. Ah, come home now. Um, I don't know what it was, but he got shot four times, injured. He served on the Somme. I think I'm lucky to be alive, really. So when he's a young man, just in 1920, he's serving in that terror. Then he lives through the pandemic and he loses his little brother and his two sisters. Then when he gets through that, he marries and then he comes out to Australia because there were very few jobs at that time. So he leaves everything he's known and his family and gets on a boat with his children and travels to Australia. And he's not here three years and the Great Depression starts. He manages to get into that, but his wife dies. And then one of his boys has to go and serve in the Second World War. Carrying a promise is not straightforward. My grandfather dared to believe that notwithstanding all of that, his God was faithful and could be trusted. And so he did. And he never got vengeful. He never got bitter. He was always looking for something more because he knew a God who was able to do abundantly more than all we ask or think. I haven't been through anything like that but if you carry a promise, you often come into that. I'm not saying that was completely the case in his, in his situation, but if you follow the understanding here, we come into a liminal space because of the promise. As soon as a promise comes on us, as soon as he makes his decision. And yet, when you look through that, God did not make his life a bed of roses. From that time, he, he knew loss. He knew, he knew lack. He knew loneliness, raising eight children on his own for a while before a woman thought she would help him. Dear lady, you see what I'm saying here? You're, getting, you're picking up what I'm putting down, hopefully. You live with a promise on your life. You can't guarantee that everything's going to be right. If Joseph's life teaches us anything, you have to learn the trick. I don't take offence. I don't do revenge. I don't care what people do to me because there's a promise on my life and when that resolves, I want to be walking free in that stuff. I do not want to be carrying stuff with me from my journey. And Joseph could so well have been carrying so much stuff that he couldn't have enjoyed the years with his dad. He'd have been always looking over. I wonder whether my brothers will betray me again. 
Do you see what I'm saying? We've got to learn as the people of God. We've got to promise. There are promises on your life. There are promises on you as a church. There are promises on you as families. There are promises on, because God is good. And He's got these things on you and He wants you to walk in it. But right now, He's not telling you, oh, I'm going to make it easy for you. This will be fixed by the end of the week. (laughs) It's not like that. We've got to learn that in the liminal space, while we carry the promise of God, we're going to learn lessons there that will equip us to walk free once we're through. And we don't need everything to go right. We need to hang on to the promise. I know what's happening to me, but I choose to believe the promise of God on my life. I know what's happening to me. I know the difficulty I'm having to face. I'm knowing the pain I'm having to go through. I'm I'm, I'm even being misunderstood by those who love me. And yet I choose to trust God. And so when he's looking at his situation, he says, you meant it for evil, I know. But God, and that's what we've got to learn to live by. Amen? Amen. You got time for one more? Just one more. I got several more. (laughs) But I'll only give you one more. Today. I'll come back and give you the others then. So then that way when you know I'm coming, you go, oh no, I've heard enough of him. I'll be busy that Sunday. (laughs) We laugh, don't we? Here's another one. Uh, And I invite you to turn to Hebrews this time. Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, I got a new Bible, I can't get the pages to turn properly, come on pages turn, wow, this is quite difficult, my other Bible, just I just flick flick, it's there, oh, there we go, here we're right, chapter 11 verse 20. 23, and I'll come back to this in a moment. Here's, here's the lesson from uh, another person who carries a promise, and that's Moses. And if there's anything that Moses has to learn is that none of the fulfilment of the promise depends on him. This is God's work. And uh, it's a good idea for us to learn this lesson, all of us. So here's a man who um, lives about... 80 years on the threshold. I think in actual fact, this guy gets the record, right, for the longest time. Because I think, I think um, you know, like Abraham, he had about 25 years. You think that's a long time? Then you have, you know, um, Joseph. He's probably another 20 to 25 as well. But this guy's 80 years. Oh, man. You'd want to punch someone if they came up to you and said, well, trust God for the promise. (laughs) Has anyone in the church ever said something like that to you and you had the desire to hit them? Now, come on, be honest. Is there anyone or am I the only one? Oh, everyone's, I'm not going to put my hand up. (laughs) My brother Dan and I, we've got a support group going for people who... (laughs) who wanted to bang on the side of the head with a four by two. <laughs> Everyone else, sorry, you can't be in this because you didn't put your hand up. Anyway, <laughs> 80 years is a long time to carry a promise, to carry a promise and actually, 
actually not enter into it and find nothing but trouble. The promise is on him from a very early age, if you remember. He was born. And in the birthing of that boy, the promise of God was on him. And that's what happens sometimes. Didn't happen to me. The promise of God came on me on the 3rd of October, 1976. 70s. Some of you don't have any idea what that was like. It was amazing. And uh, my psychiatrist tells me if I keep taking the tablets, I'm going to be fine. Anyway, (laughs) so I've been, I came into the promise when I was about 20, turning 21. And so I I was just loving uh, that promise on my life. And I, I walked into it and there's been difficulties along the way, but nothing like Moses, who from his birth carries the promise on him. And it's 80 years before he even gets close to the purpose of his life. Now, I don't know if anyone's getting close to 80 and hasn't seen the promise of God fulfilled on their life, but if I was you, I'd be going, hang on. I could be coming into something really good here. And the good thing is, when you turn 80, it doesn't matter. See, I'm the age I am, but between my ears, I'm 19, man. I'm pumped. And there's no way I'm missing out on anything. So the closer I get to 80, I'm saying, pour it on. I'll take the Caleb stuff, pour it on. I'm going up that mountain. Sword in hand, look out, right? Promise of God in my life. So, but you get a guy like this, he's 80 years. And if you remember, starts off really well. He's raised by Pharaoh's daughter. Well, that's pretty good. Gets a good education, can speak Egyptian and do hieroglyphics. <clears throat> you know, there must be advantages to growing up in the, in the, the uh, Pharaoh's house. And he gets to a point where he begins to understand who he is. And uh, he, he, you know, he murders a guy for touching one of his, his family members and then he gets exposed and he's on the run and he ends up on the backside of a desert, which is a funny place to be, really, in the backside of a desert. I don't know whether you've ever been to the backside of a desert. I, I've tried finding the backside of a desert but never been able to find it. But anyway, um, he was on the backside of the desert. And uh, so he, he was there quite a while. He met the Lord He um, didn't want to go back to Egypt, uh, had all those promises on him, married a girl, local girl, had children with her, living on the backside of the desert, tending sheep. And God calls him out of all that, out of running away from all that into this new life. Now, the lesson that you you have to realise is that after all those years of living with the promise and living and knowing the revelation of God on his life, he realised he could not do what he was asked to do. And God kept saying to him, it won't depend on you, it will depend on me. So you have a, a, a really great story when you read um, he, the, uh, the life of Moses. Now look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 to 28. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. By the way, that translation is probably not beautiful in the sense of physical looks, but significant. Um, It's probably a better translation of the the words there. Um, Significant. 
and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Um, He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Wouldn't be easy to live with the promise on Moses' life. Wouldn't have been easy to be Moses. And the lesson he had to learn was, I can't make this happen. It has to be God. It has to be him. I've got to make sure that I don't step over. And tragically, the reason why he never got to lead the people of God into the promised land was he did not hallow the Lord at the waters. It's not going to be straightforward. It's not going to be easy. I'm not going to say you're going to suffer because of the promise of God on your life, but I am going to warn you, when you carry the promise, you're a direct threat to the one who wants to keep everyone in this planet enslaved. You are immediately a target for him. And he will do whatever he can to destroy your trust in that promise. And so you have to learn the lesson that Joseph and Abraham and Moses all had to learn, that coming through a liminal space is not straightforward. It's difficult, but God. You have to hold on to that and grip that with all your strength. This is not necessarily going to be straightforward. Some things you'll slip straight into and it'll be glorious. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely wonderful. You will love it. And you'll slip into it and say, that is so good. And God is gracious to do that every now and again. But friends, if you've been living in a liminal space for a while, you might be bearing some of the scars. And I think, I, I'm, I'm bound to be corrected here, but I think that's a little bit of what God was trying to say through Debbie's word. Deb's word. You carry stuff, you br- your heart is breaking because the promise of God is on you, you know it, you, you can remember it and you're in this liminal space between where you were because of the promise and where you are to be because of the promise and you're wondering how long can I wait? How long can I wait? And God is saying a good word this morning. He's saying, I don't care whether you never see it in your life, you still carry the promise and those who are in your lineage will get the benefit of it. And sometimes you're going to have to say, I'm getting old now, Lord. Let me see things with my own eyes. Even when Moses did the wrong thing, God took him to a spot where he could see with his own eyes the fulfilment of the word that was on his life. That's what God is like. And we don't want to create a place here where some people have hope and others don't. We don't want to create a place like that. We want to create a place where everyone has hope. Everyone. And everyone who comes in that door or those doors can have hope and can be enjoying life because they have this hope. And hope does not fail us. There are three things that remain. Faith, hope and love. We are meant to be different. 
And the moment this grips your life so that you walk through these liminal spaces full of faith, full of love, notwithstanding the difficulties that you've had to face, notwithstanding the failure you've had to go through, notwithstanding the loss and the alienation you might have experienced, when you start to stand strong, you begin to see the fulfilment of God. You see it perhaps in your mind's eye and by your your visions. And then... And then one day, God willing, you'll see it with your own eyes. But in the meantime, you'll live in the liminal space full of faith, full of faith. I'm not letting this go. I'm not letting this go. You can take all my happiness away from you, but I'm not letting the promise of God go. You can take all the opportunities I have for good times away from me, but I will not let the promise of God go. I will not. I'll carry this promise. It will be me. I will carry this and I will thrive in this, not because I am able to do it, but because God is able to do abundantly more than all we ask or think. You get the idea? We're all living in liminal spaces. And some of you here today, you just need a hug and a prayer. You just need a hug and a prayer from people who love you and who are not going to give you trite Christian saying, oh, well, don't worry, dear, if you just keep... No, they'll just cry with you and say, Lord, sustain my friend, full to the completion of the fullness of all that God you have promised on their lives. Oh, God, stand with them in this name. Now, we've got to do this. We've got to do this. Because some of you, I think, if I'm hearing it right, you're almost at the point where you'll give it up. You'll probably come along to church and you'll go through the routine, but you'll never find the hope. And I don't want you to live like that, and neither does your father. So we want to do a couple of things for you today. We want to help you if you're feeling, well, that's me, Colin. You've kind of described me. I know I'm living in a liminal space. I know there's a promise on my life, but I haven't seen it. And I'm distressed over that and I'm struggling over that. I wouldn't tell anyone and I don't like telling you. And I don't like someone coming up to me and hugging me and praying the Lord's blessing and strengthening on my life. And, and, you know, because I just don't want them to pity me and I don't want them to think that I'm less a Christian and I don't have faith. Has nothing to do. Look, these three guys I gave you an example of, they all had faith and immediately took the promise of God on their life. They still had trouble. It's not straightforward. So I'm not asking you, I'm not asking you to, you know, well, you know, I'm the, the odd one out in hope, you know. I'm, I'm the only coot that's got promise on his life, but I haven't seen it yet. I'll bet you you're not. There'll be some folks here who just need a good hug and they need people to come around them and say, the Lord strengthen you and bless you and help you and bring you through to the fulfilment of all he has on your life. Now don't go, if you're gonna pray for someone in a moment, don't you give them platitudes. Because if I see you giving them platitudes, I will tackle you. (laughs) No platitudes. Just ask the Lord, give them a hug and tell them, pray for them that the Lord will strengthen them. Now, here's the brave part. Who needs the hug? Okay, would you stand just where you are If you need the hug, just stand where you are. Now, there's a few people near you. You please stand if you would like to. Or if you can't stand, just uh, give me a little wave and uh, we'll get someone to come. 
So what we want, I want you to do is, <clears throat> I want to speak this word over your life and then I want people to come and hug you and they're not going to give you platitudes. They're going to pray that the Lord will strengthen you and help you to see it through. And that's all they're going to pray. No long prayers, everybody. None of those long flowery prayers that you, I'll impress them with my theology. None of that. All right. Just give them a hug and tell them that the Lord, you're praying that the Lord will strengthen you and help you to see the fulfillment of that. Now, if you're someone in this church and you're in a prayer team or you like praying for folks, look around. <clears throat> you can do that now. You don't have to be looking at me. You can look around. You see someone? I want you to get up and go over and stand with them. And I want you to hug them. Don't give them any platitudes. Just hug them and pray that the Lord will strengthen them. Pray that the Lord will strengthen them. Father, in the name of Jesus, I speak hope over every one of these folks here today in the name of Jesus. I speak hope, Lord, in the name of Jesus. I speak hope in the name of Jesus. Something ahead, I speak hope over it in the name of Jesus. Is there someone that needs prayer? Just give me a little wave. I'll get someone to you. Anyone? We're right. Just over here. And just here. Just look around. You've got there and there and up the back. There's still folks. If you see people, all right, just move to where they are. Give them a hug and then pray for them. Father, we ask that you would strengthen and help these people. Oh God, give them joy. Give them joy in their hearts that they are your people and that they are called by your name and that you are with them. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I pray your blessing in the name of Jesus on them. I pray your favour on them, that they will live with hope, with an expectation that no matter what happens, the Lord is with them and He will fulfil His purpose for their life. Father, reassure them, bring them favour, bring them grace, give them mercy in the name of Jesus. Fulfil your purpose in them. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Everybody said? Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's so good. <clears throat> Just a couple of things before I hand back to the worship team. Hope I haven't gone over time. Is that we're all right for time? There is no overtime. Oh, I love that. We have no time. All right, here's, here's just a couple of little things before um, I hand over. Um, particularly, particularly to the older members of the congregation. Yeah, you're still young. You've still got some years, but I love your enthusiasm. <laughs> Um, particularly to the older members of the congregation. The church, as you, as I know, from, from tracing you and tracking you, is about nine years old, seven, eight, nine years old. And uh, some of you were here when that began. But let me just say to you, if ever there was needed 
a group of people with a single-minded faith, it's now. There are hundreds of thousands of people moving into the corridor between here and Caboolture and West. Hundreds of thousands. We don't need to be fiddling around here. We don't need to be propping folks up. We're, going to, we're all for helping folks. But there is a great challenge. There are Australians who have not heard that there's hope. And I call upon you to start to pray with a greater and greater faith and call down upon the movement of the Spirit here such fidelity to the Word and fidelity to humility and and grace. Call it down. I think it's your job. If you're part of the older part of the congregation, there is no excuse for you because these folks, these younger folks will stagger and fall if you guys are not right on this. You guys know what it means to hold the line and not give up. You must not give this fight up. This is so important. I would encourage you as as older members of the congregation to get together. You could tell Pastor Dan after the fact, hey, we're getting together to pray. He won't mind that. But you start calling God down. You start calling Him down. You start asking Him to fight for the people of God. Not just this church, but all the churches in this area. Because the, tra- the, the challenge is too great otherwise. Does it make sense? Please do that. I call upon you as the people of God. You may be older, but it is your fidelity to the things of the Spirit, your willingness to hold the line. You do not give up. You stick. A lot of your, other, other, your friends have, have left the body of Christ, but you have stuck. And there's a reason for that. There's something invested in you. And the fight we're coming into is going to need men and women praying. And I think that the Lord is saying to the older members of this congregation, this is the fight of your life. And while you are fighting it, you will see things here that will truly give joy to your heart. I believe that's the Word of the Lord to you. And get together and start praying. Yeah, get together and start praying. And one other thing is I'm looking at guys like these people in here. Whew, love it. What's your name, young man? Joe. Love it. And, and, and you, my dear? Hannah. Gemma. Micah. There are a few prophets in the room, eh? Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. We're about to come into a very big season. I'm so glad you're in the room. I'm so glad you're in the room. Do me a favour. The Lord, the Lord just said to me, ask them, you four on behalf, here's another one. You know? Oh, well, I'll ask her later. You over there, I see you. And over there, there's a couple there who didn't go out to Sunday school or whatever you call it out there. Kids thing. There we go. Guys, I'm glad you're in the room. Here's, my, here's the word of the Lord to you. This is, this is no joke. The Lord will move upon you in a way that has not been seen by a couple of generations. And I would be very excited about that. I believe that something is going to happen in your generation which has not happened 
since the generation that was alive in Australia in the early 1900s. We're about to see something birth again. It, it, it birthed again in 1903, 4, 5, and, and we lost it in the First World War trenches. And we haven't found it much except for little moments ever since then. But I believe the Word of the Lord is that your generation is where it's going to re-emerge. I'm so excited. I'll be on the, I'll be on the sidelines cheering and waving my cane at you. <laughs> but I want you to know, I want you to get yourself ready because what God is wanting to do is so different to anything anyone in this room has seen. And so th this is a new day. This is a new day and it's your generation that's going to come into it. Now, you could have this or you could miss it. So you'll be in a liminal space for a little while. Keep asking God, move upon us, Lord. Give us what we need to make the difference in our generation. And that's my encouragement to you. you we... Um, in the body of Christ, we are neither for old people or young people. We'll even take people that are middle-aged, wouldn't you? What do you know about that? It's good, good, isn't it? Hey, friends, lovely to be with you. I, I love the faith in this room, so I'm just, I just love being with you guys. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to Hope Community Podcasts. We hope you enjoyed today's message and remember to subscribe to the channel to keep up to date. From everyone here at Hope Community, have the best week.